Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. So here we are, episode 19. Man, we are almost to 20 episodes. I never would have thought in a million, yes, I would have thought in a million years because everything I do, I go 110%. So I want to get to 100 episodes, but man, that's going to be tough. That's going to be, that's going to be brutal. I have literally, so when I started this podcast, I was like, all right, I got all this shit I want to talk about. And I guess in my mind, I thought I'd never run out of content, but here we are at episode 19 and I'm scrambling for content. You know, when I'm on the phone with my friend, I talk a lot. I'll talk a lot on the, on the uh, phone with my best friend. And um, he's like, dude, this is a podcast. This is a podcast. That's a podcast. And then a lot of the shit we talk about, we're like, this isn't a podcast. There's no way you could talk about this shit. When we start talking about our real life and some of the things that we've, we've been able to do. And we're like, man, it's a shame that all of this has to go to the grave. But it is 150% necessary. Necessary? Is it necessary that I drink my own urine? No. But I like the way it tastes. Something like that. If you've watched that movie Dodgeball, that's the reference. I don't really do that. Um, so just a couple couple quick updates. I have a couple of guests lined up in the pipe, and I'm really going to start doing these. I just have to like kind of get the technology in place to do so, and I kind of have it going. Um, I have two people I'm really um, looking at. I had one that was really, really, um, everybody would know this name if I threw it out there, but I'm not going to throw it out there because it still may happen later in a later date. I just don't know. Um, but it's, you know, they're all really good guests, obviously. But the, uh, I, the first guest I was going to do, I wanted to really start it off with a, uh, with a really powerful punch. And I'm hoping we can still make this happen at some times, but it, and that's kind of why I was holding out for my first guest is honestly, I wanted that to be my first episode, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. So, um, maybe that'll come down the line and I can disclose who that was. It's pretty exciting stuff. Um, again, as usual, tons of overwhelming messages uh, and support from you guys about this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Uh, because like I say, trying to sit here and come up with content, it, it is, it is a bitch. And you guys have been phenomenal sending in suggestions and all that. And just the overall uh, overwhelming support. I received a email yesterday from, or two days ago, it was actually an inbox in my Instagram from a young lady whose husband is in emergency services. And her words were just so refreshing because 
she relates to everything that I'm speaking about because essentially her spouse, who uh, is obviously a supporter of this show and this podcast, um, she told me, you know, he re- listens to this religiously. But I guess she gets it because I guess he's on the same wavelength as a lot of us, unfortunately, are. I mean, we are a different breed. We are definitely uh, tough to deal with in, in some situations. I want to talk about uh, Memorial Day weekend. I hope you guys had fantastic Memorial Day weekend. I hope you were surrounded by people that you love and care about. And I hope you were able to, you know, just kind of just relax and unwind a little bit but also at the same time understand what that weekend was all about. I'm not, I don't get, I don't get into those posts. You see a a lot of people, they post like the pictures of the barbecues and you know, your fucking freedom isn't about barbecues and this and that. I don't, I don't believe in telling people how to feel about any certain day or what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. But in my heart, I do think, um, I, I wash, well, I should say, I hope people understand what that day is all about. I don't, I don't try to force it on people because at the end of the day, uh, the folks that did die for our freedom, they died so we can have the freedom to think and feel and believe the things that we want to think and feel and believe. And that's the beautiful thing about this country. Um, I don't, I don't get into the keyboard Patriots. Uh, I know there's a lot of those out there and it's kind of sad. Um, you'll see people just going off on these patriotic rants and they never, they never raised their hand to serve. They never, uh, they never stood up in uh, the face of evil. And it's kind of like, eh, you know what? Your, your opinion really doesn't matter. As rude as that may sound, that's how I know that's how a lot of veterans and emergency service workers and people feel, especially emergency service workers. When people start telling us about the jobs and how the dude's jobs and how it should be done. And then, uh, Recently, I was in a conversation with someone. Uh, they wanted to know about police searching vehicles, and they're like, "Well, if I get pulled over, uh, and the police want to search my vehicle, should I tell them no and let me speak with your supervisor?" And right there, I was like, "You know what? That's that's what's fucking wrong with this entire entire country. Um, everybody thinks the police are out to get them." And this this individual told me. Um, you know, well, I have friends that said police plant stuff, and I want to be like, you know, let me tell you something. First of all, your fucking little, little fucking weedhead friends, first of all, don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Second of all, cops ain't planting shit on anybody. Motherfucker, the cops don't even want to deal with you. I promise you, let alone rest you over a bag of fucking swag. You know, they don't, they don't want to deal with you prima donna, immature fucking kids these days that entitled motherfuckers i promise you when they pull you over and they walk up to their car they're probably like oh fuck i gotta deal with this little entitled shit ain't nobody planting anything on you dude that this ain't the 60s and 70s let me make my big case on this teenager i want to i want to get ruin this kid's life over a fucking dime bag of weed when there's body cameras on pretty much every police officer out there you guys are filming the fucking cops and i'm not trying to get on a tangent but i guess i am getting on a tangent whoo all right where were we so i I just had a fantastic week and I want I want to blow off a little steam and tell you guys this. I haven't defeated anything and I think I've said that. I still this this shit with um what we go through with, you know, 
depression, anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress, all that. It's just, it's constant maintenance and you have to be aware, um, be, be aware of your vehicle that you're driving, which is your body and, and how it operates and how it functions. If it's running low on oil, you put fucking oil in the thing. But the most important thing is you have to check your oil, right? I'm not talking about stick your hand up your ass and you nasty bastards. I know that's probably what you're thinking. You know, I'm not checking my oil. Travis said so. And you motherfuckers out there in the parking lot giving yourself a pan Getty. And if you don't know what that is, you, there's only one other person listening to this podcast. That's so funny. I get thousands of downloads on these podcasts. And I just busted y'all up with a good inside joke about a pan Getty. So apparently a pan Getty. And this is in uh, this. I'll give you guys a Marine Corps reference. A pan Getty is uh, when you have your hand up your ass while you um, while you pleasure yourself. And that comes from um, a gentleman <laughs> in our in our unit in the Marine Corps. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> Woo, I'm gonna get sued like a motherfucker one of these days. I don't care. Sue, sue me for what? Um, it's bad. Do you guys ever have a conversation with yourself and you just crack yourself up? Um, that just happened. That was the real deal right there. I'm trying to keep a good Christian undertone with this podcast, um, talking about, you know, good, wholesome things. So, including the Pangetti. Anyhow, we're talking about checking your oil, man. I'm talking about your brain. You got to know when you're running low. And I'm running low all the time. And I found that it only takes about a day or two and I'm back in, a, in the misery zone, okay? I can be completely happy, 100% at, uh, at my best. And it only takes me being in the environment that I despise. It takes me about a day or two days before I can feel the shift in everything inside of me. And it starts crumbling. And my fuse gets shorter. My happiness starts spinning out of control. And the depression starts creeping back in. And what I'm talking about is, and again, this is no secret, my home here in Charleston, South Carolina, where I live. It, 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 I'm not knocking the town, but I don't like it here. And I'm here because of my family. Okay, It's no secret. If, you, if you're on episode 19, if you're caught up by now, you know that this is no secret. My farm is the place I want to be. That's where I want to live. I talk about um, doing and getting to the places that make you happy. Now, there's circumstances outside of my control right now why I haven't relocated my family there. Um, but I spend a great deal of my time up there. I'll be up there for three or four days in a stretch. I've, there's been times where I come home for only, you know, a day, 45 minutes and turn it right around and go right back up there. So I don't spend a whole lot of time back here in Charleston. I come here to record. Um, I think it's good for me to record because usually I'm recording from a very honest place when I'm here and there's a little bit of turmoil going on inside of me, which allows me to be a little bit more transparent and authentic with you guys. Because if I honestly, if I recorded from my farm, I'd be in fucking La La Land all the time. And I think it'd just be like too happy. Um, but here's what I'm getting at. So I'm at my farm and when I'm out there and I want you to find a place, I want you guys to be able to find these places that make you the best you, right? And we, if you don't get out of the toxic environments, so this goes back to all of those episodes ago where I was talking about mental wealth. And taking toxicity out of your life. It just happens to be toxic for me here. And 
let me let me just case in point. We'll go back to Memorial Day. All right, I had a um, we had a pool party here at my house for Memorial Day, and we had friends over from the neighborhood, and it was fine. It was everybody had a good time. All the kids were swimming and shit, and we you know I grilled thirty something cheeseburgers for about um, fifteen people. I always like to grill a little too much, and I'm gonna tell you I've been to some selfish fucking cookouts. Look, hey, if you're gonna have a cookout, overcook. Don't under don't underserve your guests. You, like, I'm a 235 pound guy. All right, when I walk into a cookout, the first thing I do is I count the amount of people, and I immediately start looking around the room for the food um, to see what this host is all about. If you come to a cookout that has eight people, and you have, and I'm using this as a personal reference. This has happened to me twice in the last month. You go to a cookout, and there's eight people. And you only have eight motherfucking padded patties. You are a cheap cookout person. And you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. I'm not even going to lie. I went to a cookout. And I ended up pretty much intimidating my children. Staring them down. While they were eating their little cheeseburger. Because I was done with mine. And gave them that. You're fucking done with your cheeseburger. You need to go swimming. Because I'm about to tear that cheeseburger. And they did. They left. And I ate them cheeseburgers. His kids, they can survive on anything. Here, y'all go get some leaves off the tree. Um, fuck your feelings right now. Daddy's hungry. Don't be that person. Cook out for your people. So anyway, we're here at home. And we're having this great cookout. And I just remember in, in other episodes talking about people that uh, hanging around people that you don't relate with. And it's, it's hard for me. And I know it's hard for some of you. I'm, I'm around good people. Now, these people that were at my cookout are very good people. Don't get me wrong. But they're not like me. I'm the different one. I realized this. And back in the day, I used to think everybody else was different. I was the right one. Everybody else was fucked up. And I couldn't have been more wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm very fucked up. And I know that when I'm hanging around people. Because the conversations are very dull. They're like pulling teeth. You can't talk about giving yourself a pangetti to a guy who has never personally witnessed a pangetti okay you just you can't do it and it it sucks and i'm sitting there wanting to talk about pangettis and i'm having to talk about the colors of the fucking house in the neighborhood and the hoa board and the letters and that that somebody received about the siding on their house or something and i'm looking from a pistol like can i just end this because this sucks you guys know what i'm talking about So immediately after this cookout, what do I do? I do my laundry and I pack up my bags and I head to Happyville. I head to my farm and my dad comes out and we start clearing land and we're out there and I can talk to my dad about pan Gettys. That's how close our relationship is. I can sit there and be like, dad, you ever gave yourself a pan Getty? And he's like, boy, I don't do that shit. What are you talking about? Goddamn pan Getty. I ain't getting stick no fist in my ass. You son of a bitch. And then I'm like, well, how the hell you know about a pan Getty? Anyway. You old nasty bastard. If, if that was a personal reference to me and the Marine Corps, how do you even know what it is if I haven't explained it to you, old freak? That's who I want to get on here, man. I would love to get my dad on here. You guys have seen me on uh, Instagram Live, go live with my dad. That dude is probably one of the funniest people I've ever seen. He's he's country as a bowl of onions. He's an old, <laughs> grumpy, grumpy man, but I love him to death. He's my best friend in the world. Um. I actually got sad the other day. I'm going to tell you a personal story. And I don't know if there's going to be, I guess there's some message in this podcast, but, um, 
I was sitting at my house and I was, well, I wasn't sitting at my house. I was on a tractor and my dad has been a workhorse his entire life. There's that man at 72 years old can work me into the ground and I can work. I'm talking, we'll go out sun up to sundown. And uh, I talk about this in my book, how when I worked, when I was flipping my own houses back in the day, my dad was my only helper. He was the only person that I trusted to come in and do a good job and that I actually knew would work because motherfuckers that you hire these days, just they, they just don't have it. So anyway, my dad and I, we get after it on the farm. Well, he's getting up there in age. He's 72. Um, I'm getting up there in age. I'm 43 and I still think I'm 19. Well, I was on the tractor. And I was out um, bush hogging a part of a field. And I look over and I see my dad with a machete chopping little trees. And it was hot as shit. And I sat there real quick and tried to run. And, and I watched him. And it, and it just it made me kind of sad. He was happy. But he was working so hard I felt bad. And he's doing what a father does. He's up there helping his son. He, that's why he was working. There was, there was no incentive other than being a great father wanting to do what's right and to help his help his son and i've told my dad this many times i said dad i hope that when my girls are my age and i'm your age that i will be able to do and help them the way that you've been able to do and help me like the things you've been able to do for me like i could go on a tangent and i mean he's just never stopped providing and taking taking care of his family and that's so special to me and that that means so much to me, and I strive so hard to be that dude. Um, but I also get caught up in my selfish moments because, see, my dad hasn't experienced the things that I have, and I get caught up in my selfish moments where I get extremely selfish with my time. My dad would give me any time that he has, he'd give it to me, and he'd put whatever he has on the back burner where I'm a little bit opposite. I feel like my time's always running out. And, um, that's one of the, uh, I want to say side effects from post-traumatic stress or trauma. It's you have a shortened longevity of life and not that we're running from or scared of it, but just when you've been exposed to so much of it, you feel like your time is extremely limited. So you try to maximize the time that you have. And a lot of times we're not good at that. And I, I think hopefully a lot of spouses will be bowing their head in the yes position, uh, with what I'm about to say. I think a lot of times um, we, the, the ones who have suffered through the traumas, the, the, the actual personal effects of it, we get really selfish with our time and we don't really give the attention that's necessary to our children, to our spouses. And I'm 155% guilty of that. Um, if I'm in the middle of doing something, my daughter can walk up and just need help with something. I have to consciously make an effort to do it sometimes. I have to stop and think, all right, whatever I'm working on can wait. And I don't get this time back with my daughter, so let me give it to her. But I can't sit here and honestly tell you that I do that every single time. A lot of times I'm extremely selfish and I either throw up my hand, hey, I'm working, I'm busy, I'm doing something. And then she'll walk away and I immediately start thinking about it. I'm like, wait a minute, am I being the best father that I can be right now? Is what I'm working on that fucking important to where I can't stop and help this little girl do something. Or it can be a conversation with the spouse. You know, it can be your spouse is telling you about their day and it's just going in one ear and out the other. But we get so selfish because we want to talk about our day and we want to talk about, um, 
you know, either the highs and lows or the achievements that we had. Like me, one of the things with me is I get really proud of my achievements because I feel like uh, I'm always having to, um, to be greater today than I was yesterday. And when there's nobody around to see those achievements or to talk about them with, it's kind of like, did it really happen? Um, if that makes sense. Um, I don't really think about a lot of this stuff. I don't sit here and, and, and try to let these things leave my lips that I'm saying in a perfect manner. Um, hopefully that made sense. I think so. Part of that is through all the horrible experiences that I've experienced, um, I try to create a lot of high moments. Okay. And I like to be proud of those high moments. And unfortunately, I put those in front of my family more times than I'm proud to say. And I was talking with a buddy of mine one time. We were on a we were on a hike in the Appalachian Trail, and we both agreed that we're very selfish fathers. And I've talked about this in the early podcasts where we're selfish with our time. And I got long winded on this, but it makes me so proud of my father because he's never been like that. He has never been selfish with his time, especially when it comes to me. Um. So the reason I got sad is I saw my father working. And I immediately turned my tractor around. I drove back over to him. I said, hey, man, I said, let's uh, let's wrap it up for today. Let's go sit on the porch and, and have some tangerines because that's what we like. We like eating those little baby tangerines. You ever have those? Some son of a bitch is like, good. So we get to the porch and I tell my dad, it's like, and he was actually planning on staying that night too because he had already stayed one night. And we worked our asses into the dirt until dark the day before. And I just told him, I said, dad, I said, uh, I'm all set. I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to work anymore. I'm going to just um, kind of burn out and. You know, I put it on me. And uh, he was like, you sure? He's like, I'll stay another day. You know, I said, no, no, go ahead. You know, you can go. You got, you know, you have an hour and a half drive home. So he loaded up his dog and he left. And he, he started driving down that long driveway. That drive, My driveway is almost 1,000 thousand feet long and or, you know, a little over three football fields. And he starts driving out. And I always watch him when he leaves. And I watched him turn right onto the main road that my driveway comes off of. And as, it, as his truck disappeared, I just got sad. And I don't. I don't know what happened, but I was overcome with this, just like this, um, this guilt. And then I just felt like one, I felt like a shitty son Two, I felt like a shitty father. I'm, I'm in my happy place with someone that I, I love so much and I just kind of pushed them away. And that's what we do. Like you guys don't understand the, the relationship I have with my father. I don't know another father son that I've ever met. That has a relationship like we do. I have people comment and, and talk to me all the time, especially personal friends that know me. And my dad and I have always been close. And they're like, man, you guys have an amazing relationship. And that's the one human being on this earth. The, there's one that I absolutely love being around 100% of the time. I don't get annoyed. I don't get put off by his presence. I just love the man that much. And I love being around him that much. And I didn't, uh, I didn't capitalize on the time that he had set aside for me, and I kind of pushed him away. And so I got sad because that's what we do. Even when things are great, even when we're around people we love, we push them away. And it's, it's a self-destructive thing that we, that, we, that we do. And I think, unfortunately, many times spouses and loved ones take it personally. Like, they don't love me. They don't care about me. They're not listening to what I say. That's not that's not ever our intention. I don't, I don't believe. I mean, I just think that that's how we self-destruct and we isolate 
So as my father drove drove away and I'm sitting there alone on that big ass wraparound porch by myself on all this land and I start looking at the work we were just doing and honestly inside I was I was begging for him to come back. I was like I wanted him to be there with me, but I didn't. So I let a couple hours go by and I called him up and he was all excited when he when he answered. He, you know, he, he um he was almost home and I said, "Well, uh I'm in the car. I'm heading. I'm heading to your house. And he's like, "Well, what for?" I said, "Well, let's go fishing tomorrow." He said, "You sure?" I said, "Yeah." I was like, "Tell mama, tell mama I'm coming down tonight, and uh, we can have dinner, and we'll go fishing in the morning." And let me tell y'all something. I committed to going fishing, and I and I don't like fishing. And the reason I grew up fishing, it's not that I don't like it. I don't like it because it's not something I do regularly, and I don't. What happens with me, and I think I can speak for a lot of people, is we get caught up in this comfortable world. We do what's safe because um, it makes us feel obviously safe. We cocoon, we recluse, and we constantly have to convince ourselves to do anything worthwhile or fun or adventurous. On Instagram and Facebook over the years, my life has looked like it's full of adventure, but I promise you it's not like that. It is. I do some adventurous things. I do some fun things. But if you knew the effort that it takes me to get to that point, it would blow your mind. It's not like I roll out of bed and like, all right, today we're climbing a fucking mountain. No. Or sometimes it's like, man, today I got to go to the fucking store. And it takes everything I got to go to the store. I don't like it. I don't like stepping outside of the comfort zone and doing new things. But that's why I'm constantly talking about go get uncomfortable. Go get scared. Go do things that you don't normally do. Because it's what we have to to stay alive and to thrive. And I know that sounds corny, but it's true. Most people that don't experience this and go through the shit that we have don't have to worry about that. They wake up. They go on to their whatever life they're living. And they don't have to worry about go in new play. Most people look forward to doing new things. People like me, um, veterans that have experienced things, first responders that have experienced things, even civilians that experience things. We don't really seek out a lot of joy sometimes because we just feel comfortable being isolated. And that's a, that man, that's a shitty, shitty, shitty thing to feel. And in my mind, sometimes I picture myself being 25 and I picture myself climbing mountains and hiking and kayaking and doing jumping out of fucking planes and doing all these things. But then I'm 43. I'm sitting by the pool like this old 80 year old man trying to think about what to talk about next on this fucking podcast. And then I get message after message after message. And it's nothing but you guys being completely supportive. And it gives me the juice and the energy I took. I had to take the weekend off because then I was honestly kind of burnt out, but I knew I was coming back to it, so I was a little late getting an episode out on Monday, and I didn't want to put it out on Monday anyway, would be in that it was Memorial Day. So I just held off a couple extra days, got my breath, went down there, got in my dad's house. Let me tell you what happened. <clears throat> I get in my dad's house, right? I check in that night. We have, we have dinner, um, dad and mom and I, and the next morning we get up, to go fishing same thing you'd think i'd be excited right no it took everything in me to walk out of that house to get in the truck with my dad and tow the boat down to the boat landing and there's a beautiful drive on the way to the boat landing that we go to it's in a savannah river and it's a it's a blackwater river now we grew up where i grew up down in bluffton south carolina 
it's um, salt water, right? And I grew up where it's called the May River, the Broad River, all of that stuff. And you have these beautiful saltwater um, intercoastal waterways, the ocean's right there. But then the cool part about where I live is also very swampy, and there's some backwaters out there, and, uh, and that's black water. And that's where all the gators and shit are. It's a lot of fresh water, but there's some brackish mix. And brackish is fresh and salt when it mixes. So those of you who don't know what brackish is. There's fucking moccasins in the water, uh, big ass turtles. It's just it's it's a dangerous. It's it's I wouldn't say it's dangerous. No, nothing's gonna get you, but it's just a it's a very spooky vibe, right? You got all these big green trees. It, it doesn't have that beach vibe and that coastal vibe with the with the uh, with the grass swaying in the breeze and uh, the the marsh grass. You got you hear crickets and, and shit out in the woods. You hear um, woodpeckers up in the trees making their sounds. Hawks flying over. We had some owls out there yesterday. Then you got these big ass, you know, 12, 13 foot gators swimming around. I mean, it is just a, it, it's my element. That's, that's where I feel at peace. And I know how peaceful that is because I grew up doing that stuff. And it was even hard for me to walk out and go do that with, with my father because it just, it's not comfortable getting outside of the comfort zone. But if I'm going to do what I do for a living, which is speak to military and I speak to emergency services, you guys know what I do for a living. You know, if I'm going to do that, I got to practice what I preach. I can't sit here and tell you guys, hey, knock that shit off, quit feeling sorry for yourself and go get in a boat with your mom or get in a boat with your dad and go do something if I can't do it myself. But I don't want to sit here like and pretend like it's not hard for me because it's brutal for me brutal you know what my dad said i said uh i'll tell you i'll tell you a not so proud father moment my uh, i've never taken my kids fishing okay ever um we were at a lake one time and some kids had a pole and they were fishing so my girls grabbed it and they luckily caught a fish and i went over there and took the fish off the hook but i didn't i, I have not taken my kids fishing and we are surrounded by nothing but fishing places and my daughter even said to another, I don't remember what guy it was, but she said, will you take me fishing sometime? My daddy won't take me. And I felt bad because you know what it is? I was selfish with my time and I didn't want to go fishing. And, or when I'm here in Charleston, I don't like going out into the public. I like reclusing and being by myself. It's just one of those things. I've tried to break out of that shell and I work really hard at doing that. And I'm not pretending that I'm the best at doing that. But my dad was telling me, you know, you should, you should come out here. He's, um, so over the years, my dad's downsized. He used to have all these big boats and shit. Now that he's older, he's got this little boat. It's like a little 16 footer with a tiller motor behind it, a little 25 horsepower Suzuki. And that's all he needs. And it's easy to put the boat in. It's easy to take the boat out. Um, and he told me, he's like, you need to bring your girls out here sometime. And I, and I said, dad, I said, I'd love to, I said, but, uh, but I don't think it's a good idea. And I immediately started talking myself out of it. Instead of seeing all the good and what could come of this experience with my girls, I didn't tell my dad why. I immediately started thinking of all the bad. I immediately went to thinking we could break down. Because when I grew up, I broke down in the river with my dad all the time. And But that's fine. I was a boy. We got towed in more times than I can count. My dad, I don't know if I, if I, I didn't say this in my book, but. Um, back in the day, my dad would work, you know, 10 hour days, 12 hour days as a golf course superintendent. And during the work week, he'd go out shrimping and, uh, he'd catch, he'd catch shrimp 
and I think statute of limitations is over by now, but I would be in middle school and he'd sell coolers of shrimp to, to his contacts for a couple hundred bucks back then. And on school nights, I would have to go out and help him catch shrimp. I grew up doing that shit. And that's how my dad was able to do extra for our our little family back then. And so breaking down in the river, being out there at nighttime was, was no big deal. I'm, I'm used to that, but I'd be damned if I want to break down out there with my two little girls. Uh, if I had a little boy, whatever, I'd throw him in the water and, and tell him, hey, fuck you, man. Them alligators ain't going to get you. I grew up swimming with gators. They're not going to mess with you. But my little girls, I don't even want to risk being out there with them. But who does that affect? That affects not me. It affects them. The chances of something horrible happen are very, very slim. I immediately go to, there's so many bad people in the world. What if we get out there? And it's like uh, that movie Deliverance, and we stop at a beach, and these old South Carolina, Georgia country boys come out in the woods, and now my family is in jeopardy, and my gun um, misfires, and I can't get do my tap rack bang, Marines will know, and I can't do my tap rack bang in time to kill all these motherfuckers. That is how we think. And so in the, in the process of doing that and thinking this way, we miss out on wonderful, wonderful experiences. And I hear myself saying this as I'm talking. I hear how ridiculous this sounds. It makes sense speaking about this. That's like when they say when you write things in a journal, it, it, a lot of times it makes sense if you can just read your words that you write. And I'm hearing what I'm saying. And it makes total sense. So we end up stripping our families over time of all these wonderful experiences they can have because we are fear in fear of relinquishing control of anything. And I don't want to be in an uncontrolled environment with, with my little girls. But I need to, and I know that. I need to show them, look, you need to go out and, and, and have experiences. Because in, the, in not doing that, they're going to end up becoming me. They're going to become very isolated. They're not going to be trusting of this world. They're going to start seeing the harm in everything they're going to, every bad person they see with their hands in their pockets, they're going to make, all right, why's this dude got his hands in his pockets? He's going to pull a gun. I'm like, bitch, shut up. You're, you're like eight years old. Fucking knock it off. You don't need to think that way. That's the problems with dudes who spent their lives in military emergency services. We see that bad stuff. I'm not saying you're, you, you're all like that. Cause there's a lot of, man, I'm, I was on fire when I was in, the, in emergency services, boy, I was a ball of fire, but it was eventually it took its toll on me. I remember we were crazy as shit. I remember one time we, uh, me and a bunch of firemen, we had this little boat and, uh, my buddy had a boat and I think there were six of us on there and I stripped down to nothing but my little, little draws. I had some little like compression shorts or something on things that you wear in a gym to keep your, your stuff tight. And I had a cowboy hat, and I pulled it off, and we're riding around the harbor in Charleston. Tourists is everywhere. And I was just yelling, hey, boys, hey, boys. And I was waving my hand like I was, you know, for the other team. And I was just having a blast, and people were laughing. We were having a good time. And I was just, that was me. That was classic Travis at the firehouse. If you didn't know Travis in the firehouse, Travis would get naked with you in the firehouse and come and jump into bed with you and, you know, try to, sing you a lullaby i mean it was it didn't mean any harm that's just how we were and with cancel culture this podcast will probably get canceled before it even fucking airs now but i don't care fuck (laughs) y'all um not not you guys listening to cancel culture people 
And then we pulled up one night outside of a restaurant and people were eating. <laughs> and we did that same shit. And they were all laughing, having a good time. I even jumped. I was drunk as shit. I jumped off the boat into the water like a like Forrest Gump when he was waving to Lieutenant Dan. He's so excited, and when Lieutenant Dan was on the dock, I just and and I dived dove into the fucking water like that. And but I don't know where that guy went. Well, I do. I guess I do know where that guy went. He grew up, and he and he had responsibilities, and he had a, a traumatic event that changed his his entire life. It wasn't just one little event. You know, it was uh, uh, it was a bunch of events, but it was one major catastrophic event that took us took the ultimate toll. So that guy died, and I actually say that um, you know my ex girlfriend that I was dating at the time of the fire that killed my nine guys. She told me not long after that she goes, "I can see in your eyes that the old Travis died that night too." And I don't want to use that as an excuse to not live my life. I don't want to use all the stuff in the past. To not go out and be adventurous. To not, I want to wake up in the morning and be excited to go explore, right? And I hope you do too. And I know many of you have spouses and I know many of you are in a situation, especially my cop buddies, right? I get a lot of cops, man. A lot of my police officers because you guys, I mean, firefighters, we deal with the shit. But you guys are just on a different fucking level dealing with the stuff. And you become so jaded. Um, and I can speak cause I did too. You become so jaded to anybody that's not a police officer. You're just not trusting of that individual. It doesn't matter their ethnicity, their skin color. None of that's not what matters. It's the fact that they're not a fucking police officer is that you don't trust them. And that is exactly what I saw happen to many cops with me. And I'll be honest, it happened to me too. You know, I, I remember when I left the police department, went back to the fucking fire department. I didn't trust the firemen because they weren't fucking cops initially. I mean, that's what that job will fuck you up. And law enforcement will fuck you up seriously. And you become so judgmental and just jaded towards everybody and everything. You'd rather just be alone or you'd rather just tell cop stories with your cop buddies. How many of you that are police officers that are listening to this right now can honestly say, you have more friends outside of law enforcement than you do inside of law enforcement. And I guarantee you, nobody's fucking saying, raising their hand to that. One of the hardest things about being a police officer, I think, is you're surrounded by police officers on duty and off duty. All your buddies are cops. All their buddies are cops. And then their buddies are cops. And every once in a while, you meet a guy who's not a cop. And then you look at him and you're like, what'd this motherfucker do? <laughs> You know what I mean? That's how it is. And your world becomes so small. So I highly encourage you to start opening that world up, brothers and sisters. Um, I've had to do that over the years, as you know, because I surround myself with with like-minded people. But it's not bad to have a different perspective from other people. It's it's like I said, the people we were hanging out with on Memorial Day are fine people. They're good people. But man, if I can't talk to you about giving yourself a pangetti, what is there to really discuss? So we got long-winded. And I'm going to get long-winded on this episode because I feel like I owe it. And if it's interesting, I hope you're la- I hope you're loving it. I got a phone call coming in right now from New York. And let me tell you right now, I cannot answer it. So, young lady, I know you're calling me from New York. I'm supposed to come up on the 25th of June. I'm talking to your entire t- 
city of emergency service providers, police and fire. And I know that you listen to my podcasts. Please know that I didn't answer the phone because I'm in the middle of doing this episode and I don't hit the stop button for nothing. And I'll call you back. I walked in the house today. Y'all know we got a new puppy. I think I've told you. Just, just got a hound dog. Her name's Fancy. She's about three months old. Fancy was so excited when I got home. I'd been going, I've been going for four or five days now. I come home. She peed everywhere. She was so excited. She was peeing. And I just stood there and looked at her. And I remember thinking, I wish my spouse would be that excited when I came home. Could you, could you imagine how many of you come home to a spouse that you're like, do you even fucking like me? <laughs> so and you get that feeling sometimes. I know I, shit, it happens to me. Um, but the damn dog was peeing and I wasn't mad. I was just, I was just thinking, God, it would be amazing if human beings got so excited that they had to wear diapers just because you came around. That'd be, that's some Michael Jackson level shit there. That is like Leonardo DiCaprio. I, like people literally have to wear huggies when they know they're about to to see somebody like that. But wouldn't that be cool? <sighs> I'll tell you a funny police story. Funny to me, anyway. All, all my stuff's fucked up. I was on the phone with my buddy for about an hour and a half on the way home today. And uh, he doesn't... We were police officers together, and he works he worked with a federal agency now. I can't say who. And I called him just to catch up. One of the stories we were talking about was the time we pulled a guy over on Dorchester Road in uh, North Charleston. I was we were working midnight shifts together, and I saw I had this car that was swerving in front of me, and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, this guy's drunk. Let me go ahead and light him up." So I lit him up, and I didn't really deal with a whole lot of um, DUI cases back then, um, driving under influence. I I did a lot of guns and dope. So we had a guy on our team who would handle a lot. He loved DUIs. That was his thing. He was very passionate. So. Um, if we rolled up on something like that, we'd end up passing it over to him, but we'd kind of stay there cause he loved the paperwork aspect, all that shit. But we didn't want to get caught up with that. We like doing the guns and dope. So anyway, I pulled this guy over because he was obviously a danger to the community and it was nighttime. Couldn't really see. He pulls up at the Mark four Plaza. I'll never forget this shit. And my buddy, my partner walks up on the passenger side and I walk up on the driver's side and I'm inching my way up this car slowly and cautiously. I got my, my flashlight up and I said, good evening. How, uh, good evening, sir. I'm officer house, North Charleston. I said, and I went just like this. I said, good evening, sir. I'm officer house of North Charleston. What in the fuck are you doing? And he goes, Oh officer, I'm just cooling out, man. I'm just cooling out. And I look over the roof at my buddy and he is dying laughing. And I said, can you explain what the fuck I'm seeing right now? Like I was be beside myself. I didn't know what I was even looking at. Let me tell you what was going on. This dude took an entire king size bottle of Jergens baby lotion. All right. He, he was bald. All right. He was a bald guy. I'll never forget this shit. I can see it like yesterday. He poured it on top of his head. Okay. And from his head to his toe, he was butt-ass naked. And he rubbed his entire body in Jergens lotion. And he had a heart on while he was sitting in the seat. And he was pleasuring himself. Not giving, not giving, He wasn't going full Pangetti because he needed one hand to drive with. But he was, he was in touch with himself. I promise you this. 
And my friend on the other end of the car, listen, if this guy would have been a threat, my friend would have been no fucking use to me because he is about to pass out from hyperventilating, from laughing. Like, I look over and I'm like, motherfucker, are you good? And he's dying. And I'm I, I'm trying to hold it back and remain professional. But what do you do? The dude was driving down the road jerking off. And he was covered in head to toe. This Look, you think I'm bullshitting. You can't make shit up. And that's why a lot of times I tell people, if I were to start telling you stories about shit in my life, one, you wouldn't fucking believe it. And two, there'd be so much of it that it would just seem, there's no way all this can happen to one guy. But I'm telling you right now, all this shit is cooperated. We end up letting the guy go. He wasn't drunk. You know what he said to me? I said, shit you not. He goes, sir, I'm just cooling out before I go home to my old lady. Like he was doing all of this. Before he went, he would rather drive down the road at, at, at on midnight shift in North Charleston, South Carolina, jerking off with a bottle of Jergens all over him, than to go home and let his old lady service him. Like I don't know the dynamics of that household, but I remember thinking, "Damn, dude, your life's in a bad fucking place when you don't want to go home and you risk getting fucking arrested over this shit." So here was the deal. We didn't know whether to lock him up for indecent exposure. He was in his car. Nobody else could see at nighttime. He wasn't drunk. I guess he could have been a threat to the community had he had gotten out of there. But shit, that would have been a slippery situation, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I didn't want to touch this motherfucker at all. So we let him go. And I said, you're going to be able to get all this lotion off of you? And he said, yes, sir, I got a towel in the back seat. Like, this is, I think he he had done this before. This wasn't his first time. And he was only a couple blocks from his house, if I remember correctly. And uh, me and my buddy today laughing, we hadn't talked about that story in, shit, 15, 20 years. Or 15 years. And we laughed, and he was laughing just as hard on the phone as he was laughing, just, as he was laughing that night. I almost said, motherfucker, you good? Like... I caught another dude jacking off behind a building one time. Check this out. This was um, this is the Christian Radio Network for those of you that are just tuning in. Um, God is the plan, and 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 Jesus is 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 the way. So, if you're just tuning in, we're getting back to talking about um, a man jacking off behind a building. I, I I caught one night in an industrial complex. I was on patrol, and my buddy that I was just telling you about. It's a different one. Um, the one that liked doing the DUI arrest. He was with me this night. And he was in another car. We had our lights blacked out when we were driving around looking because they had some burglaries in the, in the, in the area. <laughs> we ended up locking this guy up, but check this shit out. So I see a car behind a building that was suspicious. And so I stopped and a police officers. It ain't like the movies. We don't get out of our car and just slam the fucking door. We very gently shut our door. And all of our lights, our cab lights are always blacked out. So if we open our door, the lights don't come on. You don't know we're there. I know we're there. We know we're there. So I walk up on this dude, me and my buddy, and uh, again, not with a bottle of lotion, but the guy was butt naked in his car, and I shit you not, he had a TV tray. You know them old school trays with the little legs on it that you would like for a TV dinner or something? He had the tray out, and he had a smorgasbord of dope. He had cocaine that was already lined up. He had a crack pipe that was loaded with crack, and he had... A couple of joints there now i mean so he technically had a smorgasbord of drugs and he was jerking off 
behind this building. And I flipped my flashlight on. And I said, sir. And he had his windows down and shit. And he didn't miss a stride on that thing. He kept going. He's like, oh, you scared me. And I was like, you want to fucking stop? <laughs> he was rolling. And I didn't want to be there for the big for the big finale. So I had to tell the man to stop. He knew who we were. I was like, I'm Officer House, North Charles Bleed. You know what the man told me? This is no bullshit. And I can corroborate this one too. He says, sir, I'm just cooling out before I go home to my old lady. No bullshit. That really happened. That really happened. Like, I want to be like, you married to, y'all, what did that, what, you know what, let me stop. But that, that is the shit I'm talking about. Like, in law enforcement, you see some of the funniest shit. You, you can't make it up, man. I mean, that's why I want to get these cops on uh, on my podcast. And I want to talk about some of that funny stuff, man. And just some of the ridiculous stuff. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly but surely. I'm starting to build my little roster of potential guests. Um, Don't make me tell you all about the time my buddy had to dry stun taser a guy in his ass. I, we'll save that for another episode. Um, If you... If you follow my feed, uh, just recently, if you want to go to Team Never Quit, so that Team Never Quit is an awesome organization. They have an awesome podcast. That's with Lone Survivor Marcus Luttrell and his brother Marcus Luttrell, or excuse me, his uh, Morgan Luttrell, excuse me. So it's Marcus Luttrell and Morgan Luttrell. Um, I was just on Team Never Quit's podcast with Morgan, and we had a we had a very very fun episode. I had a lot of fun on on there with Morgan. So you guys can go check that out at Team Never Quit's podcast. Um, I recently just got back from Concord, North Carolina, where we had a small show. It sold out. It's like 45, 50 people. Um, but man, if you don't, if you've never been to one of my comedy events, I, I always tell people this: the big shows are easy. The big shows, I don't, I don't think I've ever had too many big shows that weren't just easy because laughter in comedy is contagious. Okay, if you have five hundred people in a room. And you can make 20 people laugh. I guarantee you you can make 499 laugh. Now, you're always going to have one asshole. But if you can just get a small percentage of the room going, the rest of them will join. And it's it's like taking candy from a baby. Where you really make your money and you know your value in entertainment is when you have to deal with small audiences. Now, one of my biggest fears when I was in first starting out in comedy was small crowds. I was never intimidated by the big ones. It was always the little ones that really gave me trouble because I didn't know how to how to perform for small crowds. And, and here's here's what you do. You don't perform for small crowds. Big crowds you perform for. Small crowds you have a conversation with. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I can do my entire performance in a conversative tone. But what I would used to do back in the day is I would try to go in there and perform for 10 fucking people. And it comes across as fake. It's not authentic. So there's an art to it. And that art is just being genuine and having a conversation with a small group of people. And that's it. It's that simple. So over the years, I found that I got away from liking the big shows and really, really, really loved the small shows. I've performed for one fucking person before. When I say perform, I, I mean comedy. I have been at comedy clubs where the show 
a lot of times they'll cancel if there's like not 20 people or, or 10 or 30, whatever their magic number is. But some of these fucking comedy clubs, if there's one person there, you're going. And I've done those late night shows where one person bought a ticket and you come out there like you lonely, lonely motherfucker that comes to a comedy show by himself. This is weird. And so I've done that many times. I've done thousands of shows all over the world. So unfortunately, hundreds of them were like that. Um, But getting back to Concord, North Carolina, we went up there and it was a small show. And I'm going to tell you right now, that was probably one of the most fun shows I've done in many years that I was telling my mom, cause I don't know if you guys know this. I talk to my mom after every event. That's always been our thing. And, uh, I talk about that in my book and she was asking how the show went. And I said, you know what? It was small, but if one person wasn't there, I don't think that show would have went right. It was like all of the right people, the right 40 fucking people were there. And if just one of them would have been removed, it would have had a completely different vibe. So thank you, Concord, North Carolina, for an amazing time on stage last week. That was that was really, truly a blast. Um, I do want to talk about a few upcoming events um, I have going on. So like I just said, got one in New York um, outside of Albany coming up. That's going to be a speaking engagement for the fire and police departments in that in that town. Um we just have a verbal confirmation as of now, and I don't ever, I don't ever name a city until I actually have a hard contract in hand until it's actually confirmed. So uh, at a later date, I can give you guys that info. We also have, um, whoo, potentially um, big show for the Charlotte firefighters coming up. Uh, I didn't want to really announce that one prematurely because it's not locked in, but. That's a Charlotte, North Carolina um, fire department is uh, we're looking at doing a really big event for them. And I'm excited about that. Those those guys and gals up there they have a fucking great department in Charlotte. Um, and from there, from Charlotte, I'm going straight to uh, South Bend, Indiana. And I'm talking to the South Bend, Indiana fire department, to the brothers and sisters up there. I'm having a um, keynote presentation slash motivational speech with them, them spending a couple hours there going around meeting all the guys and girls with uh, the wonderful South Bend, Indiana Fire Department. And then August 5th, I'll be at um, FDIC Fire um, Conference in Indianapolis. 35,000 firefighters from across the world come to this event. It's the largest fire conference in the world, many years running. And I couldn't be more blessed to be the headlining comedian uh, this year's this year's event. Now, there's not 35,000 people in the show. They limit it to, I want to say, four or 500, and all proceeds from that benefit, uh, um, from that show, benefit the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. I've done this event several times now. Um, it's always a real treat to be able to go up there amongst my brothers and sisters. Um, Baltimore, Maryland, we got you on October 20th, 21st, 20, I think it's 21st through the 24th. I'll nail those dates down a little tighter when we get closer. Um, I don't like promoting too far out, but the Emerald Society, I'm um, going to talk to Baltimore City Fire and Police, Baltimore County Fire and Police and surrounding areas. Going to have four motivational speeches, uh, keynote presentations, followed up with a comedy event. That is super, super exciting. Got a lot of other big stuff going on um, out in the Midwest that we are still trying to hammer down. So I'm really excited about that too. Um you guys kick ass, man. Like literally, I hope this, I didn't really sit down and, and try to like have a real message today. 
I just wanted to get on and give you something uh, because I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy doing this. Um, you know, I hate to say every every day is not going to be you know this overpowering just message that I'm going to have. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the support. Um, please keep telling your friends, uh, people that may relate to this podcast, your family about it. I, I can't do it without you guys. Um, I'll do a book plug. I haven't done that in a while. Go grab my book, Create Your Own Light. It's on Amazon, or you can order them through me directly. I have this. I can do the signed copies through me. Uh, the unsigned copies are on Amazon. Um, this podcast, again, Create Your Own Light. Um, the Audible book is online now, for those of you that don't know. Uh, really, really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you all. I hope you all kick ass this week. And be on the lookout for some guests coming. Don't know when yet. I'm going to be new at this hosting thing. So you guys got to bear with me. I don't know. Like that's an art form in itself. I've never done that. So just bear with me, but I think we'll get you some good content. All right. Thank y'all. Have a good one.